podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Here comes Bosco's Boys, here comes Bosco's Boys, right down Bosco's Boys Lane. Santa Claus, Scott, and all the boneheads on Willie's crazy train. Chauncey's chewing on a crimson elephant toy, what a beautiful noise. Hang your stockings and fill them with sugar, here comes Bosco's Boys. The boys are back, and I think this is the first time since his Blitz Week appearance or Blitz Month appearance that we've had Derek Young, the main guy over at K State Online, uh, for a proper show. I think he did a primer for us once, but you know, I've I've been doing a lot of Drew time. I've been doing a lot of Grant time when I'm talking to folks from KSO. But I was like, all right, it's time to get the main man himself, who is holding it down right there in Manhattan nowadays, sipping from uh, coffee from an MHK mug. You love to see it. Derek, before we get into any sort of uh, actual K-State talk, it sounds like you came away from uh, the Indianapolis trip and the Dallas-Fort Worth trip uh, not feeling uh, a little crummy. I think I have a cold. I it might be. The, I don't think it's the flu, but you know, I, I've had a little bit of a cold I've been battling ever since I got back to Kansas City. Sounds like you're uh, faring way better than I am. Yeah, no, I, you know, a little stunned about that actually when you kind of go on a I guess you can call it a near cross-country endeavor there but going from I think what is what did I do um because the West Virginia Pittsburgh trip was right before that so technically oh yeah so technically I flew from Manhattan to Dallas to Pittsburgh um had a flight delayed so I had to stay an extra night in Pittsburgh then Pittsburgh to Chicago Chicago to Manhattan the Manhattan to Chicago, Chicago to Indianapolis, Indianapolis to Atlanta, Atlanta to Dallas, Dallas to Manhattan. See, that's wild. So I, I went Kansas City to Atlanta to Indianapolis to Detroit to Dallas to Atlanta to Kansas City in uh, you know a five-day span. So uh, shout out to Delta in my Delta miles. And, and I, I also want to say this. Shout out to St. Elmo's Steakhouse in uh, – in Indianapolis. Uh, I know you and I talked about that a little bit when we got lunch in Dallas. Uh, and also just shout out to Indianapolis, man. I I, I kind of, you know, if we're going to be doing this whole ad basketball school type thing uh, with Gonzaga, because, you know, Brett Yormark was making a little bit of waves last night uh, talking about, you know, getting into the West Coast. If we're going to be doing that, let's just add Butler because I, I need more of an excuse to go to Indianapolis a little bit more often. I had a lot of fun in like the 22 hours I was in Indianapolis. It's an underrated city. It's actually pretty small. The downtown is not big at all. But man, everywhere you look, there's a steakhouse and a brewery. So if that's your thing. My my two favorite things. Yeah. So no, and and it's a really good setup for like big events because everything is pretty congested there, and it's not necessarily all that spread out. I think that's why the Big Ten likes to do their events there rather than even Chicago, just because of the the setup that it provides. Uh, I wouldn't want Butler, but uh, just in general, a reason to go to Indianapolis is a good thing. I don't necessarily want Butler. I don't 
really want Gonzaga I either. Know. But I, 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 you know, I just, I just want to go to Indianapolis. Maybe you know, because uh, the Big East, Big Twelve battle, hopefully sticking around because the relationship with the SEC. This is the last year for that one. So hopefully that sticks around. Maybe uh, we we pick up the Big Ten and then all right, you know, I'll stay in Indianapolis and drive over to you know Hoosierville or West Lafayette with uh, Purdue. Uh, it's Bloomington and West Lafayette, right? Yeah, West Lafayette, Bloomington. If we get a matchup with Ohio State, I can, you know, and basically give everyone a, a good tour of of Columbus as well. So, or when and when Cincinnati comes into the league, you know, we're just going to, to uh, infuse Ohio into the Big Twelve more and more as time goes on. And I was thinking, you know, if if they are going to do this Gonzaga thing, which I'm pretty indifferent on it in general, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't know if it's that really much of a good thing, but I do, the only thing I kind of like is leaning into your brand a little bit more. If you are going to brand yourselves as the best basketball conference, then then why not go for it? But if you're going to add Gonzaga and you want to keep it at an even team and kind of go with that basketball path, I said, just try to go for it. I'll give Villanova. Yeah. And that truly would be coast to coast. And maybe we'll have to get a round table, get Philip Slavin from the 10 12 network, get a couple other minds and we'll, figure out how we want to do this but before we get into it because again there's there's been some I mean there's a pretty big football game last Saturday Mm -hmm. Uh, but before we get into it I want to give a shout out to Manhattan Brewing Company Uh, they got the Tang Time Sour on tap they got that Dark Schwarz beer I I, I, folks you guys know I can't pronounce anything right but it's the house divided beer that they did with Lawrence uh, Beer Co Uh, absolutely delicious as long as uh, my congestion clears up, I'll be there on Sunday and I'll be grabbing a couple pints of townie wheat and some four packs to go. Make sure you're checking out Manhattan Brewing Company every time you're in Manhattan. They have their Christmas decorations up. Absolutely amazing. Not a beer person. They got cocktails. I promise that needs to be your next stop in Manhattan. Derek, let's get into it. This is a question I asked uh, all the boneheads on the live show. Uh, we're, we're about six days, five, six days removed from the game. When you look back and reflect on that game, who maybe who who would you say is, hey, that was the hero of the game? And then who is maybe the unsung hero that as time goes on, as people rewatch the game and who kind of like cemented themselves, maybe like into a cult hero type status for, you know, uh, a big time moment or a big time game that folks maybe aren't talking about enough? A hero. Can I just do one on both sides of the ball? Yeah, yes. Just, this is pretty yeah. open-ended. You know, yeah. I, you know me, I like to schedule stuff out. I like to send outlines. There's no outline to this show. We're just, yeah, we're no. just two buddies talking. Yeah, for sure. Um, offense. I will say and you're like, you said, it's like five days. It feels like I can't decide if it feels like it was yesterday or if it feels like it was a year ago, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, I'm a little, you know, that, that kind of game, um, quite frankly. Deuce Vaughn, I think, is who I would go with on offense. Uh, I think the offensive line had one of their better games, probably. Um, Will Howard, interestingly enough, and this is not a knock on him because it wasn't a bad game, but it was probably one of his lesser games. Um, Statistically, probably his worst game. Yeah. So, and he wasn't as sharp. His timing wasn't as sharp. He, like... When he didn't miss throws, it wasn't because like it was a terrible decision for the most part. It wasn't that it was like, well, you're very, very inaccurate. He was just like a hair late, um, a handful of times, I thought. Um, so Deuce Vaughn on offense, 
the is a forty four yard that forty four yard touchdown run stands yeah. out. That was a big play. iconic play in K State history. Now, yeah, that that's an a uh, an iconic play for sure. Um, defensively, uh, man, the, this one's a little bit tougher to be quite honest, just because it was uh, a little bit of a topsy turvy kind of game for that side of the ball. I felt like and. And I thought everyone had their moments, both good and bad, to be quite frank, um, on that side of the ball. A guy that's, I guess, standing out to me right off the top of my head as being top tier and being the most consistent was probably Eli Huggins. So that's probably, if I talk about hero defensively, I think that's what he had the big stop too. I yeah, think and, the fourth, and fourth talk about I, yeah. iconic pictures and moments him doing that double flex coming off the field after that fourth down stop that's going to be another one of those pictures another one of those moments that find their way into k-state hype videos from now until the end of time yeah that one i'll try to yeah the, the goal line stop by eli huggins the run by deuce Vaughn, zentner's field goal there's probably a few more of those moments maybe rj garcia's touchdown <laughs> Yeah, Julius Brent's interception in the end zone. Yeah, who who caused uh, who forced that fumble of Quentin Johnston? That was yeah, pretty big. So that was Julius as well. So I I recorded the recap uh, on the show before I rewatched it, and I, I was like, yeah, I don't even know who caused the fumble, uh, but Osmore picked it up. It sounded, and I had a few folks tweet at me. It was Julius Brent's with that as well. Yeah, so uh, that pl- that play is almost kind of going forgotten a little bit, probably too much because I think. It was a pretty pivotal point in the game, and and I mean, as soon as he caught it, I was kind of worried that it was going for a touchdown too. To be quite frank, he was wide, wide open, um, kind of by himself, and they really collapsed on him hard. And and that was just an effort play by the defense after probably getting gashed a little bit on on that particular highlight. So then we get into the unsung heroes, man. There's a lot of them. Um, that that was like the game for unsung heroes. Uh. I mean, let, let's start r- real quick. I, I know you're going to go offense, but I'm going to talk about Keenan Garber because, again, uh, people started noticing later towards the end of the season, he's warming up with the cornerbacks. He's standing with them during the game. When I show up, I get down to my seat because I was dejected at the U.S. being down 2-0 to, uh, to Holland. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to my seat. Uh, I'm done watching this in the club area. I see Keenan Garber's wearing, uh, you know, a number in the 30s. I'm like, well, shit, they, he's going to play. He's going to play. And I started getting worried. But how about his game? You know, first action he's seen in non-kind of mop-up time all season. It's on the defensive side of the ball. He's only been practicing there for three, four weeks. And uh, this week was the first time he's ever actually practiced with the actual defense and not even scout team. Yeah, it was with the scout team before that. I mean, just incredible. Uh-huh. I honestly don't know. It just boggles my mind to see it even being possible. I mean, he played a little bit of defense in high school. Not really a ton, but a little bit of defense in high school. And hadn't played defense at all in college. Is he in his third year, fourth year, right? Fourth year. Because he came in with Jack Stanine at the same time. So fourth year. Um, redshirted, uh, of course. And never played a lick of defense until this past month and he had never played a lick of defense in a game all of a sudden he's in the big 12 championship game and playing 21 snaps so that's just ridiculous uh so unsung hero yeah he probably just if you take in 
even though he didn't necessarily have any splash plays, but he was never a liability, which is impressive to say the least in itself. But he just he didn't have like like a play play where he like literally uh, made a huge impact uh, one way or another um, in terms of a playmaking standpoint. So, but just from difficulty standpoint, I think he is gotta be the unsung hero from a difficulty standpoint. Um, but Damian Alalio, man, he packed a punch in his only one play, right? So he moves that center back. He gives Eli Huggins the space to operate and get that basically a solo stop. It's still, I feel people don't realize like Eli Huggins, that stop was basically a solo stop. I think he had a little bit of help from Daniel Green, but um, basically a solo stop. And it was because of Damian Alalio. And then on third down, Uso, he got hurt, but he, he, you know, he's the one that had the instant penetration. So he comes to mind too. VJ Payne led the defense in snaps. Um, he's a true freshman. It's interesting the way that his season, the journey of a season. He actually started against South Dakota in game one because Josh Hayes was ill. And then, you know, he, he has that chunk in the middle of the season where they don't necessarily need him as much. He's not playing as much. He's probably only getting four snaps here, five snaps there. And by the end of the season, yeah, I think he started the last three games. So uh, just an interesting journey for him leading the team in, in snaps on that side of the ball. Uh, Jacob Parrish played ahead yeah, of the ball. I was just about to say, he played all over the field because I don't know if it, it truly was uh, him playing safety early in that game or if they kind of shifted responsibilities to make it more like a true nickel corner. Uh, but he he was out there for a little bit, and then when Echo goes down, he played. I think he went the distance rest of the game out, out wide at corner. Yeah, I think I think that's well. He well, he got spelled a little bit by Keenan. I think they kind of split that. Yes, yeah. yes, you're, you're correct. You're correct. Yeah. Um, and he was playing that like a safety spot. Maybe it's like a nickel corner. I mean, it, it's probably just semantics at that point and how you want to define it. I think Parrish is basically playing Josh Hayes spot. So it's like a cover safety. It's still a free safety, so to speak, because I, I wonder if because they were playing on the field together, but Parrish was the one playing a lot of man as a safety. So and I don't think that they were. And yeah, Drake Cheatham and his snaps were a little limited. But still played a bunch because he played with a club on his hand. Um, and he has to get surgery on now. Um, Josh Hayes. I wonder if Josh Hayes wasn't just playing like Kobe Savage's spot, and that that was like a shift in responsibility. That that's what comes to mind for me anyway. Um, offensively, R.J. Garcia is the unsung hero. Got a touchdown. I mean, it, he has single digit catches for his career. Doesn't have a touchdown in his career, and, get, and gets a touchdown in the Big Twelve Championship game. Another one of those like you got to pinch yourself moments, really, um, to believe that that's happening. Um, man, offensively, that might have been it. Offensively, you kind of got what you kind of expected other than that. And that only happened because Malik Knowles got hurt. Yeah, Mal- Malik Knowles absolutely gritting through it. Um, it sounds like at least he, he was adamant on uh, Instagram Live after the game that he'd be playing in that game. Uh, is there any sort of update on some of the injuries we've seen throughout the season? What sort of uh, injury issues will we be looking at here in about four weeks when K-State faces off of Alabama? I don't know anything about Uso at the moment. Um, didn't look ideal coming off the field, I would say, but I don't have an update on that one. It might not be as bad as we think. Who knows? Um, but Malik and Echo, I mean, Coach Kleiman said in his you know Sugar Bowl thing with Nick Saban when they shared the uh, a Zoom or a webinar, so to speak, uh, that that Malik and Echo will both be playing. So, um, and aside from that, Drake Cheatham said he had surgery. Um, 
with him playing with the club already, having surgery this far out, you would think he's probably still going to be available, but maybe he has to play with the club again. I don't know. But before we kind of move on past the actual Big 12 championship game, how massive was it for Chris Kleiman in his, you know, building legacy to do that? You, you talked about uh, this when we talked back in July. You've put it on KSO that, hey, this is his best team that he's had. He really needs to capitalize on this season. Uh, what do you think uh, getting that trophy in the trophy case does for him, not only when, you know, the the history books are written about this year at K-State, but also for national perspective? Well, Nationally, I think it kind of puts Kansas State on the map a little bit because it also it comes at a right, good time for Chris Kleiman year four. It's basically you're validating the buildup that you had, the trajectory of the program that you had. You basically validated that to your program, to your roster, to your locker room, and kind of t- says, see, guys, you know, we knew what we were talking about, and you get even more buy-in maybe. And you're kind of going – from a national perspective, it's probably good timing because you're doing it as soon as – I mean, the Big 12 is wide open this year. It's going to be even more wide open for years to come. And there's probably a little bit of a – not that Texas and Oklahoma are really dominating the league anyway. I mean, neither one of them has been in the Big 12 championship game for the last two years. And Oklahoma seems to be – I mean, I don't know that they're really going to – I mean, some of it will depend on what happens in the transfer portal. And I know they're going to end up with a good roster no matter what. But you have to have some questions about whether Oklahoma is really a Big 12 title contender – at all in general next year, because you have to question just the operation a little bit of what happened with Brent Venables and company, to be quite honest. And they have answers. They're going to need answers. A quarterback is Jackson Arnold going, you know, going to be a guy that can play right away and be good right away. Cause it's probably going to be on his shoulders. I would imagine um, the true freshman and Texas. If, you know, to be honest, you can almost use this as a positive trajectory year for them, even though they probably still underachieved. I get it. And you are losing Bijan Robinson. So that is a thing to worry about because, because when, when they have... were in trouble, they finally just start feeding him. Uh yeah. which is funny because it seems like outside of the game versus K State, uh it, it took them until the second half to start feeding him almost every single week. Correct. Um unless uh, besides the TCU game, which they were the only ones that kind of stopped him straight up. Uh Interesting, interestingly enough, that game might have cost uh, Bijan a trip to New York. It probably did. Yep, I would say that it did. But I mean, even with losing Bijan, now a lot of it's going to depend on what kind of offseason Quinn Ewers has, because I think he's still going to be the guy even in year one for Arch Manning. But I, w- I would still feel better about Texas's chances next year than Oklahoma's. Um, that's me personally, and. But, yeah, where I was going is that the the Big 12 is a vacuum of power. Oklahoma State seems to maybe be embracing the transfer portal just a little bit since they they landed a pretty good linebacker, but they've lost more talent to the transfer portal than anyone in the Big 12 at this point, at least when you're talking about guys that are actually playing meaningful snaps and making considerable contributions. Um, for, For a time, I figured when we get to the new Big 12, and we're not too far from it, I know Texas Oklahoma have a little bit of time left, that Oklahoma State made sense as maybe that uh, that power, but I, I think there's more of a vacuum there than I was anticipating. I don't think it's a slam dunk for them. By the time that that conversion is made, by the way, at least a full conversion, you get the four teams next year, but you're still sticking with Texas and Oklahoma for another two. When that full conversion is made in a couple of years when Texas and Oklahoma are 
you know, for sure gone. I'm, I expect Kansas State, you know, to be maybe in that top tier at this point just because of how they're kind of establishing themselves and validating themselves and and have kind of created a little bit of a a window for them that's longer than one year. Like, I thought going into the season, this is a one-year window, but now because of the emergence of Will Howard, maybe that's not the case. With some of the seniors that maybe choose to come back, maybe that's not the case. Uh, for the underclassmen that have decisions to make whether to go to NFL or stay, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's not the case. So I think they extended their window. So that really, and, and it's almost a perfect setup for a quarterback transition. If you, if you're really going to buy into the entire Avery Johnson thing, I mean, he gets that one year to kind of sit behind Will Howard and then Will Howard goes off into the sunset, you know, maybe, you know, whatever that they can accomplish next year, which should be quite a bit considering the, potential ramifications of what they could bring back. And then you got Avery Johnson in a perfect scenario. So uh, the table is set for Chris Kleiman to really do big things now at Kansas State, uh, a place that most folks, you know, if you're going to talk from a national standpoint, didn't think was necessarily possible beyond Bill Snyder. And, it, you know, that had kind of been proven. No one really had done it besides Bill Snyder. So I know people hate that kind of conversation, but where Chris Kleiman is validating is kind of that department too, and that needed to be done. Yes, 100% agree with you on that one. Um, last kind of question about this current team before we'll we'll do a little bit of recruiting talk. Um, you mentioned it, you and I have talked, and then, you know, I, I'm sure you, you get some of the, D, you have better sources than me, but, you know, there's even starting to be whispers around some of these big time pro prospects that, hey, maybe they're not going to uh, go pro. Maybe they will be coming back. Um, when might we be start hearing, you know, hey, uh, maybe this person's coming back, maybe that person's coming back. Uh, when, when's the timeline of some of the decisions for this type of stuff? Because I'd imagine uh, you won't be hearing anyone saying, hey, I'm leaving before the Sugar Bowl. I don't think we're going to have any opt outs. Um, but what are you hearing and what sort of timelines do you think there might be? Yeah, I don't think they're having any opt outs either. Um, I mean, Deuce Vaughn's kind of made that pretty apparent and clear already he he kind of jumped out in front of that and wanted to put it to bed it seemed like before it really got any legs and it was probably a good idea on his part to do that he's he's savvy man so a pretty special guy uh no opt-outs in terms of early entries i mean if they were going to do it i think they would do it later i agree with you i don't think that they would declare beforehand and if you declare beforehand you're basically saying you're opting out anyway so yeah i don't i don't foresee that being the case now Will there be guys that say they come back? They're coming back beforehand. That's the interesting thing to me. They don't necessarily have to, at least publicly. So I would. I'm curious, but they're going to have a lot of mics in their front of their faces between now and the Sugar Bowl. I think there's even a media day like um, that happens. At least there was for the other New Year's Six Bowls that I've you know been participated in, where everyone's available to the media for for like an hour. So. Um, I wonder if the guys that have their minds made up by that point, if they do just go ahead and th throw it out there, or maybe they throw it out there before they make the trip to New Orleans. We'll see. There's a lot of time. But I I do think that maybe not Felix, because I think he wants to go through the draft process at least to figure not, maybe not the entire process. I don't know if there's a process like the NBA where you can kind of figure out where you stand. But uh, whatever that is, I think Felix is going to want to entertain that and see and kind of take in all the information that is readily available to him. So he may run out the clock because I think the declared date is January 16th. 
I could see Felix running out the clock. I think the other two, uh, which is obviously Deuce Vaughn and Cooper Beebe, um, to be honest, by this point, I think uh, they pretty much know what they're going to do. And it's probably, in, if if they had to decide today, it's in favor of Kansas State. I'll just say that right now, um, which is a little bit of a surprise when it comes to Vaughn, but I, you know, more power to him and it's his choice. And, and, and I do think NIL is probably a player in some of these, not just Kansas State, but I think you're seeing more guys come back because um, the but the potential, you know, aura there of NIL compensation, I think, takes away the a little bit the risk and the sting of of returning to school if that is something that you've actually enjoy, you know, and want to do. I think NIL can take away the risk and maybe make it a worthwhile journey. And I think we're probably going to see that from both Deuce Vaughn and Cooper BB, whether they, they release it and, and tell the world, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think that's probably, I mean, if they had to decide today, I think they're coming back to Kansas state. And, and I think part of that too, and I think they are understanding in Felix's case of him wanting to kind of see it through, but just for recruiting purposes, I think Kansas state's the coaching staff kind of needed to know as many decisions as they could they could reel in and absorb it and discover so they know what numbers they're kind of working with too. We saw two uh, kind of moves in the 2023 class. We saw Will Lee, who's being considered one of the top defensive backs in uh, junior college football, uh, pledged to K-State. And then uh, you saw the Arkansas uh, cornerback decide to decommit. Were those, were those kind of playing off of each other? Did one lead to the other? And then what sort of movement do you think we're going to see in the next, what, 13 days before the uh, early signing period? Yeah, I, I might see a few more high schoolers. I don't know. You're going to see a bunch. I mean, I think they would like to land Trace Bivey, the receiver from Arizona. And by all indications, if you just want to comb through a guy's personal pages, it certainly seems like Spivey would be leaning towards Kansas State. There's not really any sightings of a, another school. I know that there is there is pull for him to stay home in Arizona, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think Oklahoma State's really in the picture for him, which is interesting because that's where his mom attended school, obviously. Um, Asa Newsom, they would love to land. Sometimes that looks like it's going their way. Sometimes it doesn't. It's very unpredictable. I would lean right now saying that he doesn't go to K-State, but – Quite frankly, if he did, it wouldn't surprise me. So, I mean, that one could go. I mean, he's visiting Kentucky now, and they haven't really been connected to his recruitment at all. So, uh, it's a weird one. Um, nothing that would really surprise me. The interesting part, and I don't know if it'll ever play a role or, or will play or has played a role, is that his brother just entered the transfer portals too. So, um, his brother was an older player for Nebraska, Mosai Newsom. So, and there's probably some other junior college kids to keep an eye on. I would keep an eye on the running back from Texas that they just offered in Diego Benson. Um, assuming that maybe Deuce does come back, which is, I think is a possibility. You probably don't need to go get a transfer running back at that point. You maybe you do next year. I don't know, but you'll have Deuce and DJ again, and you probably feel pretty comfortable with that one, two combination. If that's does come to fruition and you don't need to transfer running back, you probably want another high school running back. I don't think you'd want to be content with Joe Jackson, just Joe Jackson, even though he's a really good player. And I still don't think Dylan Edwards or John Randall Jr. are necessarily guys that are going to be available to them. So, and, oh, nope, your first nope. question. Yeah, your first question. Uh, I, lo- I like Willie a lot. I do think he's one of the best junior college cornerbacks in the country. 
They beat a lot of – they beat a few really good defenses for him. It got schools that really wanted him in Florida State and Iowa. I think that did spook R.J. Lester, and that's probably why he exited. I also think R.J. Lester was watching Jacob Parrish in the last month of the season. I was like, man, it's going to be a couple of years before I see the field. And, and, I, and I said this on the board, and people kind of roll their eyes, but it's just the way the world works at this point. Guys don't want to wait a couple of years anymore. So if you kind of know that that's probably your plan or outlook, then you, sometimes you're just going to find another home. For sure. Uh, one last thing uh, coming into 2023, uh, th- there were a couple pieces that folks tried to write talking about Avery Johnson uh, being a flip candidate. This kid has done everything, uh, at least locally, to make sure people know he is through and through K-State. I assume there's no worry there. Um, I, are there any other guys who, hey, they might be in the camp that, hey, we, we might have to keep an eye on as we get close to a uh, signing day, wait for that fax machine to go through? Yeah, man, do they st- are we still doing the fax machine thing? Or I wonder what what year we're going to change up well, from that. So I think, and I and I I talked uh, about this with Chuck Lilly back in the summer. I think you actually, yeah. if you have like one one of those apps that you can like DocuSign and like upload oh, yeah. documents, you can do it on your phone. But it sounds like the fax machines still are used. I think it's the only day out of the year that it still gets used. But I yeah. think there's an app that you can upload documents to nowadays. Is it did they do DocuSign? I know that's one I have to use for all my contracts and stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly which one it was. Uh, was this before your time? I, I I can't remember. There was a story of uh some K State recruit who uh wanted to sign on signing day. There's this big snowstorm, so he couldn't use the fax machine at his school, and he went to like a McDonald's that had a fax. I think that probably was a few years before you showed up. But, ah. If anyone remembers who that was, please please tweet at, at me who that was because that yeah. was a story. I, I can't remember who it was. That's pretty bizarre. Um, what was it going? Oh, yeah, Avery, no concerns. Avery Johnson, no concerns. Jordan Allen's the one they might have to uh, – the defensive end, I believe, the South, being recruited as a tight end by Oklahoma. I uh, mean, Tennessee didn't turn his head. USC didn't turn his head. But I, I don't know if it's even him, his head that's being turned here. If you want to read between the lines, I think it's probably someone in his circle, so to speak. I think that's one. If we're going to see a negative surprise, it would maybe be Jordan Allen. The thing is, Brent Venables did already visit. Excuse me. And I don't think, because I think you only get one from the head coach. So I think they already made their big move. So if the Sooners really wanted to make Kansas State sweat and feel uncomfortable. I think it would be if there's an official visit that would be set up to Oklahoma because he he did visit Oklahoma, but it was an unofficial visit at the time. So he still has an official visit remaining that he can take to Norman. Um, well, we got two weekends before signing days, I think, because it's on the December 21st. So uh, and technically it doesn't even have to be on a weekend. I don't know why I said that, but if you can – I guess, avoid Jordan Allen taking a visit to Oklahoma between now and signing day. You'll probably feel pretty good about it. Now, he's told KSO that he has no intentions of taking any other visits, but um, I don't know that there was an intention of anything else that was associated with Oklahoma either. So it's something that I'm going to monitor closely because if if there is one, you know, like shred of news that may, could could surprise people and not go Kansas State's way. It might be the Jordan Allen thing. That'll be one to keep an eye on. Of course, folks, make sure you're subscribed over at K-State Online 
for all the up-to-date news. Uh, last thing, and then maybe we'll end with a couple funny questions. Uh, K-State got their first 2024 uh, commit, state champion Hawkins, probably going to end up being a top five Kansas prospect, maybe top three when it's all said and done. Um, were you surprised to see them get on the board with him early on? I know there were maybe a couple other 2024 guys, but I'm excited. And you know me, I love grabbing the Kansas kids, especially a state champion. So what can you tell the listeners about the first pickup for 2024? Yeah, he's a high upside offensive tackle uh, from Mill Valley, Gus Hawkins. And not necessarily a surprise. I think everyone felt like as soon as that offer was made that he would end up in the Kansas State class. And, the, and then for a few weeks before it had happened, um, there was a lot of whispers that it was about to happen. Um, there was two or three of them that we heard could be the first commit, and he was one of those two or three, the other one being uh, the quarterback from Erie, Colorado. So I would keep an eye on him, Blake Barnett. Uh, so I think that one is one that's probably not going to last a whole lot longer, too. I know that they would love to land Junction City athlete Michael Boganowski as well. So those are probably the next ones to maybe keep an eye on. But Hawkins, yeah. High upside. It's not going to be as good of a class in Kansas. I would just, you know, probably urge people not to get huge hopes up for a class that's 2023 might be the greatest one of all time. I mean, I think they're going to end up having close to 20 or more division one signees uh, for 2023. 23 is more of a, what do you call it? An exception rather than the, the norm. 24 might be a little bit better than I thought it would be at first, but it's still going to, Pale in comparison to what we saw in 23. Gus Hawkins is probably a top two or three prospect. Some of that does have to do with quantity, I would say. I don't know that I would, yeah, Gus Hawkins probably wouldn't be top three in 23. For sure. All right, let's get out of here with uh, some some fun questions, and uh, then, then we'll call it a day. First one, uh, on a scale one to ten, how would you rank watching a game in Hinkle Fieldhouse? You know, it was cool. I, I think the only moments really for me that felt like an aura or an awe were probably as soon as I walked in, like the first five to ten minutes. And after that, it, it kind of rubbed off pretty quickly. And and I never really felt it during the game. Um, it was It's one of those things where you kind of take pictures outside because there's a few cool things like a bulldog statue and, and stuff like that. And it looks the, the front of the building kind of looks like very much, you know, historic as well. The hallways are kind of historic with some of the things that you remember seeing from the Hoosiers movie. And then when you get inside just to see the layout, I think that's really cool. And then after you kind of get that rush, then it, you don't really feel like you're necessarily in some kind of storybook venue, even though that you are. That's how I would describe it, at least. What is the best thing that you ate or drank during your, and, and we'll include uh, the West Virginia trip as well, because that was a, you know, a, what, three, two, two and a half, three weeks and you're traveling all over the place. So what's the best thing you ate or drank during that uh, whirlwind of travel for you? That's a good question. Uh, drink, uh, just probably the bourbon that I get, you know, when I go to places, that's always my favorite. Uh, and I don't, wasn't even drinking like top shelf anything. Um, I had a, I did have a bottle of wine in the uh, at the Grand Hyatt when I stayed at the airport hotel at Dallas Fort Worth one night. That was really good. It was like a Chianti, I think. Um, and then otherwise, I'm drinking I think, but Bullet and Bullet Trace. 
well. I was in uh, on Friday, Saturday night for the Big 12 championship game. Food? I mean, nothing is really jumping to my mind when it comes to food. I think I just ate at a bar and grill while I was in um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, or Arlington, actually, area around uh, the stadium. I don't know that it had anything sensational. The press box food, what was that like? Yeah, what what did they feed you before the Big 12 championship game? Oh, man, I, th- I think it was a breakfast burrito. It wasn't anything like, yeah, uh, anything substantial. I think I had better food for the Stanford game, actually, if I if I can remember correctly. Um, maybe Permani Brothers in Pittsburgh, having that for the first time, that's really good. Um, I actually would give that an A. Um, some of these places like that that are just like, you know, the not chains, but places that are everyone's like, oh, you got to go to this if you're here. You got to go to this if you're there. Some of those places don't always live up to the hype, if you ask me. But I thought Permani Brothers was pretty good. Definitely. And the final question, the Charlie Hustle question, currently doing their 12 days of Christmas deals Make sure you get over to charliehustle.com for the most comfortable, officially licensed K-State apparel. And again, you know, if you're not blessed to be buying for some K-State fans, they have some other officially licensed stuff, the Arrowhead Collection, Sporting Club Collection, and the Crown Town Collection. All right, the Charlie Hustle final question is, Derek Young, have you watched a Christmas movie, any Christmas movie yet this year? And if so, what was it? Man, I I don't think so, but I do think on Thanksgiving night I watched this, uh, and I think it was the past year's seasons of it, like the Christmas lights competition show on ABC where they're like, these families are crazy, and they just like, man, their electric bills must be like $1,000 a month or even more than that, and they look like they invest $50,000 in the lights and to ornaments and decorations for their yards and their houses and they just like go all out just for a fifty thousand dollar price prize where it looks like they probably invest more money into this than the actual prize total so i watched that and that's probably the closest thing but i always do watch uh the santa claus i love those movies for some reason even though i know that are, that's are you gonna watch the series on disney plus they have a limited series Oh, see, i didn't know that but i probably will just because i am pretty invested in that franchise itself with Tim Allen, um, Tim Allen Christmas movies, you can probably never really go wrong with them. That's how I feel anyway. I know that's probably a, a little controversial. Home Alone, I got to do that too. So Home Alone and the Santa Claus are typically my go-tos and the Elf. There you go. All right, uh, Derek, I know you have a ton of stuff. We've mentioned KSO. Of course, you're also uh, one-third of 3MA, the K- KC Sports Network K-State podcast. So plug everything that you got going on over at KSO and over on 3Maw. Yeah, I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll probably have some 3Maw podcast coming out too, where I think we're having Will Howard as a guest. So um, you guys go. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think, uh, and then with the site, I mean, if you love recruiting, uh, you, there's not a better time of the year to kind of be invested in that when it comes to KSO and, and our coverage of that because you're going to get – you know, the the high school finish and the junior college finish that kind of coordinates with signing day at, that I believe is on December 21st, if I remember correctly. If I have that date right, I hope I do. Um, there's the tra- the transfer portal, probably entries and exits. So far, the exits have been pretty tame and probably, and no offense to those, but probably the ones that make sense from a logistic, from a, just a roster standpoint. So 
Um, but they'll have some incoming. I mean, they've already made a few offers, so it's a good time. And, and, and if you want to know about, you know, which super seniors might be going or staying or which underclassmen might be going or staying, I feel like uh, we're, we're probably a pretty good one-stop spot for all that information. Definitely. So that is all we have for another week of Bosco's Boys. I'm going to say this for the first time since we started doing five shows a week, starting back in June, as we're sitting here for a Friday episode, I'm not committing to going five episodes next week. We'll see what happens. Uh, but, but, but I'm on, I'm on uh, the fence. So we'll see how many we get. Of course, we're going to have a show on Monday. We'll have a live show. We'll go live with the boneheads on Wednesday and that will publish on Thursday. Let's see what happens for some of the other ones. I can't promise anything, folks. This is the first time. We'll see if we can get to the finish line. It's close, but I can't promise anything. So that's all we have, though. Of course, check out Three Mon- Check out K-State Online. So for the best co-host in the world, Chauncey Bosco, the Wonder Pup, we love you guys, and go Cats. Santa Claus got a dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job, and he does it all night long. Well, every year old Santa Claus loads up in his sleigh, and them reindeer running in front of him kick butt up in his face. And those chimneys he goes climbing down ain't exactly all that fun. So Santa's gonna get the job done Don't you know that Santa Claus got a dirty job Santa Claus got a dirty job Santa Claus got a dirty job And he does it all night long Through wind and rain and blinding snow Santa Claus never slows down He's gotta keep on pushing them reindeer hard If he's gonna hit every town Sneaking in, sneaking out for 24 hours straight. Gotta outrun them big guard dogs. Gotta do whatever it takes. Don't you know that Santa Claus got a dirty job? Santa Claus got a dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. And he does it all night long. You know, John, I was just thinking... Oh, Santa Claus, he's a big man. He is. visits over 300 million folks every year. And Woo. everywhere he goes, you know what he finds? What? Cookies. And he eats them. He's got it. He's Santa Claus. It'd be rude not to. I'm just saying, you wake up in the middle of the night, you see that big man in your house making a beeline for the bathroom, you best get out of his way because, you know. Santa Claus got a dirty job. Dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. Dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. And he does it all night long. Santa Claus got a dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. Santa Claus got a dirty job. And he does it all night long. Yes, he does it all night long. He does it all night long. Woo! Merry Christmas, Mike Rowe. Merry Christmas, John Boy. Podcast Network.